Welcome to the Just Ingredients Podcast. I'm Cara Lynn, and here we talk all things nourishing to the mind, body, and soul. This is a place where you can find just good ingredients to life. Fall is right around the corner, and so is candle season. If you can't wait to get your hands on your favorite pumpkin spice candle, maybe you should think again. Have you ever stopped to think about what ingredients are in a fragrance candle? The Fair Packaging and Labeling Act gives fragrance manufacturers a trade secret status so they legally do not have to share their ingredients with you. Synthetic fragrance can contain up to 3,000 different chemicals, some of which are endocrine disruptors and respiratory irritants. Some even contain chemicals that are known carcinogens. If you do not want to give up fall-scented candles forever, I have a swap for you. Introducing Fontana Candle Company. I love Fontana Candle Company for their 100% natural and independently certified non-toxic candles, wax melts, and room sprays. They use only pure beeswax, coconut oil, and essential oils in their candles, and they put all of their ingredients right on the label. Fontana was the first candle to be certified non-toxic by Made Safe, and they now have over 75 products certified. This includes their natural bath soaks, bar soaps, wax melts, and room sprays too. I love that they have my favorite seasonal scents like cinnamon orange clove, peppermint twist, and spice latte. Discover your favorite non-toxic scent by heading over to their website. Use J.I. Podcast as your code at FontanaCandleCompany.com for 15% off your order. That's Fontana, F-O-N-T-A-N-A, Candle Company, Dot com and use code JIPODCAST. Dr. Michelle Jorgensen is an internationally acclaimed author, speaker, teacher, biologic, and holistic dentist, and health and wellness provider. She is the author of Healthy Mouth, Healthy You, Holistic Dental Guide, and Be Prepared, Not Scared, 12 Steps to Emergency Preparedness. After practicing traditional dentistry for 10 years, Dr. Jorgensen became very sick. Through her own journey to return to health, she discovered she had mercury poisoning from drilling out mercury fillings for her patients. She was concerned that there may be other health-threatening materials or procedures in dentistry, and this concern led her to the biologic holistic dentistry field. She is also the founder of Living Well with Dr. Michelle, a local and global outreach to teach the habits and the behaviors necessary to really live well in today's world. Everything from simple, healthy meal planning for busy families to nature's medicine cabinet are included. Welcome to the show, everyone. Today, I am so excited for our guest that is here today. It is Dr. Michelle Jorgensen. She has become a dear friend of mine after we've made products together, but I'm so excited because you guys, she is so knowledgeable in the dentistry world. So welcome to the show, Dr. Michelle Jorgensen. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me again. Well, I'm excited to talk about so many different things about our mouth and teeth and dentistry, but before we begin, will you just tell my listeners your background and how you got started in holistic dentistry, functional dentistry, whatever you call it, because I think your story is fascinating. Yeah, and I think it really helps to explain why I'm so passionate about what I do too. (laughs) So I uh, was raised in a dental family. My father's a dentist and I actually have three younger brothers that are dentists now as well. And that's just kind of what we all do. And so I started practicing and I love dentistry. I was a cosmetic dentist. I love making smiles gorgeous. And 
about 10 years in, I started getting really sick. And you talk to a lot of people that get sick. So this is not, you know, a unique story that I got sick. I started having gut issues. And how many people have gut issues? So many. So I started changing my diet. I started, you know, changing things that we were doing at home. And it helped some, but not significantly. My biggest issues, however, were my memory. I've always had a good memory. It's just been one of my strengths. And I couldn't literally remember a patient's name from room to room. And my hands, I started having such numbness in my hands that I couldn't hold instruments anymore. I couldn't brush my teeth. I couldn't blow dry my hair. They were going to sleep at night. It was waking me up all night long. And I literally couldn't do my job anymore because I couldn't hold instruments. So I had my practice for sale and I was going to try to figure out what I was going to do with the rest of my life. I was in my mid thirties by this point and a young family to support. I was the breadwinner and I didn't know what I was going to do. So I was reaching out to a whole bunch of different friends and practitioners. And finally one said, you know, have you looked into mercury at all? And I just kind of laughed and I said, well, no, I don't have any amalgam fillings because at that point, that's all I knew was that amalgam fillings, which is what we call them as a dentist, silver fillings, which is what you, you know, people call them, that they actually have 50% mercury. I knew that, but we'd always been told in school that that was no big deal. You shouldn't worry about it. And so I said, no, 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 I don't have any fillings. And this practitioner laughed and he said, it's not the fillings you have. It's the fillings you've been drilling out for the last 10 years, breathing all, all those fumes in, no protection whatsoever. Now that I had never been told. I had never been told as a dentist that this could be, you know, harmful to my own health. So I thought, well, could this be a thing? Like, is this real? Because I had done every other thing you could possibly do with no answers to this. And I got tested for mercury and it was off the charts. So all of a sudden wow. I started researching mercury and I found out that it's a neurotoxin. So my brain and not my, my brain not being able to work, my nerves, my numbness and gut function actually is related to mercury as well. So all of the things that I had had, all of the things I was experiencing were 100% symptoms of mercury poisoning. I had been drilling out all those fillings because, I, like I said, I was a cosmetic dentist. People didn't like the way these black fillings looked, so they'd been asking me to take them all out. So here I was, breathing in all of those fumes the whole time I was working. Dentistry does not tell you that this could be a problem. They don't tell you as, as a patient, but they don't tell us as practitioners either. That's incredible. So, well, can I do anything about this? Like, is there hope here? And he said, yeah, go look into this organization. So I went and found there's an organization that has protocol for removing these fillings in a way that it's not going to release all these vapors. So I said, well, I can certainly try. So I bought all the equipment. I started doing all these protocols. And all of a sudden, patients started paying attention because you've been through this. <laughs> you, it's, it's slightly different than the normal, right? Right. Yep. <laughs> So, uh, you know, they, they'd say, well, why are we doing all of this? What's going on here? And then I'd explain, well, this is for my own health, you know, but it's probably helping you too. You're not breathing it in while I'm removing them also. And so people started saying, well, gosh, my doctor is interested in somebody that does this. Can I introduce them to you? So doctors started coming and talking to me. And the interesting thing is doctors knew more than I did. So they would say, gosh, we've heard the mercury is bad. We deal with people that have mercury poisoning from other sources. And we know this is a problem. And do you do this and this? And do you do this and this? And they started telling me the things that I should be looking into. So I started looking into them. And I was absolutely blown away at the connection between mouth health and overall health. And the things that, number one, I can see in the mouth that indicate problems elsewhere in the body. But number two, the things in the mouth that actually contribute to or cause other things in the body. I had no idea. Again, the profession doesn't know this. So if your dentist is not talking to you about this, it's not because they're just trying to hide something. It's because they simply don't know. And I had to go and learn at all these obscure conferences and different places all around to try to teach myself these principles and the ways that I can actually help somebody improve their health 
not just fill their tooth. And so that has completely transformed my practice. Now I have a wellness center here where we have multiple practitioners, multiple specialists. We deal with, you know, people from all around the world and help them get better. And we use the mouth as really the window or the entry point to health. I 100% believe it is. So that's how I got to where I am now. It was not an intentional set out on this path intentionally, as I know your story is that way as well. It is. But what's interesting, how we met is because I had the silver fillings and I started asking around everyone, like, where should I get these taken out? Because I knew about mercury poisoning and I knew that there was a proper way to get these out. And I asked different dentists and I didn't like how they were telling me how they got them out. So people kept recommending you. So I came and met with you and yep, you have a very specific way of how you get the silver fillings out, which is safe for the patient and safe for the dentist. And so I really appreciated that. So that is how we met. I'm curious though, and I know people are wondering, if they're looking for a dentist like you, are you called a holistic dentist, a functional dentist? What's the right wording for that? Good question. You know, holistic dentist is the term that's been used probably the longest, but I don't really like that term. So I, you know, I you can call me that. That's fine. But typically when someone calls someone holistic, there's a, a little bit of a misnomer or an assumption with that term that you're going to be a little crazy and that you're not going to do things based on science and based on research and based on established protocols that you're just way out there, you know, playing your own music, beating, you know, walking to the beat of your own drum kind of thing. And so people think, gosh, you're going to have like beads hanging from the doors and wearing tie dye shirts. And you've been to my office. It's the exact opposite of that. Exactly. <laughs> it's the most technologically advanced dental office you could ever go to. So I don't love the term holistic just because it brings those things to mind, the tie dye hippie, you know, kind of thing. But holistic, really just means the whole body. It like includes the whole body. So it's really what I am. But you can also call it biologic, which means it's about the biology of the body. You can call it functional, meaning we look at the way that everything in the body functions and talk about how can your moral health affect that. All of those terms apply. <laughs> so basically, I I will identify as any of those things. <laughs> okay, good to know. I just know that people will want to Google in their area. And so that helps them. Yep. But I want to go back to yep. something that you said. You said that the mouth can show you all signs of illness within the body. So let's talk about some of those things. What can the mouth tell you? Yeah, it's so interesting. I'm actually writing a book right now about how the mouth is really a window to the rest of your health. And the reason it's a window is because we can see it. Mm. So that's interesting. You know, I tell people all the time, I say, can I see inside of your stomach? No. Can I see inside of your brain? No. But I can see inside of your mouth. So we really ought to know what those things mean. What do we, what can we look for and what does it actually mean? One of the ones that people will often come to a dentist for is cavities, right? Right. That's the most common thing. You go to the dentist to see if you have any cavities. Well, what do cavities mean? Well, cavities mean that something nutritionally is off in the system or you're not brushing your teeth. But the large majority of people actually brush their teeth that get cavities. I mean, there's a teenager or two that really needs to just be introduced to a toothbrush. But (laughs) the large majority of the time, it actually has nothing to do with that. But that's all the dentists know to tell you. Just brush better. But I am brushing better. Like, how much better can I do than better, you know? Right. So the cavities are typically a nutritional issue. So if we see cavities on the teeth, particularly along the gum line, immediately I tell you, I can identify your gut's not functioning right. You're not absorbing nutrients. Because Mm. if you're not absorbing nutrients properly, what happens is your body has to go find those nutrients elsewhere in the body. 
and the teeth are a ready-made bank of minerals. So if it needs minerals, and minerals are used for brain function, for heart function, to grow bones, to do a lot of the things that we require on a daily basis. So if your body simply isn't getting enough of them, either because you're not eating them or because you're not absorbing them because your gut function is not adequate, then it will steal them from your teeth and you will get cavities despite how well you are brushing your teeth. Now, a lot of people are so relieved when I tell them this because they go, oh, finally, someone can tell me why I'm getting cavities even though I'm brushing my teeth. So gut function is huge. Autoimmune disease is absolutely huge related to the mouth because there are two primarily three, two to three primary areas of hidden infection in the mouth that I can see. I can't necessarily see with my eyeballs all the time, but I can see gums. Gums are a big one. And that's one of the reasons that you and I created one of the products we did is for gum health. Gums are an indicator. If you have bleeding gums, if you have swollen gums, that means you have a high level of inflammation in the body. So then you go, all right, so where's the inflammation hiding? So where is this? So you can start looking. And two of the places that it can hide are actually in the jawbone, underneath old root canals and in areas where wisdom teeth were removed or any tooth was removed and it didn't heal properly. Those are areas where infection just hangs out and hides. Your immune system can't get to it. It tries and it's often getting worn out because it's fighting nonstop and it can never really get on top of the problem. So it wears the immune system out. The immune system is not capable of then defending itself against other invaders as well. So a lot of times we see sickness. We even see things like cancer where the body can't take care of itself well enough. But we also see autoimmune disease because the body's immune system is confused. It's overworked. It's tired. And it just starts to kill itself. It starts, you know, that's all autoimmune disease is, is the body just attacking itself for some reason because it's confused and tired and worn out. So this can be a reason that autoimmune disease is initiated and for sure why autoimmune disease doesn't get better. So we look at all of these things to say, okay, you're not feeling well. You have autoimmune disease. You have heart disease. You have cancer. You're not sleeping well. Uh, You have tooth decay. You know, all of these things could be very much related to what's going on in the mouth. That is so fascinating. And I don't think it's common practice for people to think like, oh, I'm not feeling well. I'm going to go have a dentist look in my mouth and tell me what's wrong with my overall health. That is not common practice. So what do we recommend to people? I mean, how do we make this more mainstream? Just educating like we're trying to do? Exactly. This is the way this is the way you're doing everything is just by educating, right? Is trying to teach people what they don't know, but that they should look for. And that's the biggest challenge that people often will say after I'm on any podcast or talk to anybody is where do I find somebody that can do this? And what do I ask them to do? So the first step is where do you find them? There are a couple of organizations online and we can put them in the show notes so that people can know where to go. But I also have established my own directory because I was frustrated too. I would send them to these online sources and then people would message back and say, they're nothing like you. Like they are still doing root canals. They're, you know, they didn't talk about the way I'm, you know, that I can't sleep at night. They didn't do any of these things. So how do I really find someone like you? And so I've actually established a directory of my own. And these are dentists that are vetted and that are trained either by me or they have to show me their training and it has to be an equivalent level of training. And then I will let them in the directory. So that's on Living Well with Dr. Michelle. You can go on there. There's a dentist finder and that's something that's quite new. So don't be alarmed if there's only about 25 dentists on there. We're growing, we're building, but those 25 dentists are the best that you can find pretty much in the country right now. So that is the first place to go. And then what do you ask them for? You ask them for a cone beam CT scan. 
that is the base level what you need to be able to do to screen for the things that I've just briefly talked about here. The cone beam CT scan is a CT scan that's specific to the head and neck, specific to dentistry, and it will show those hidden infections like the kind that are under root canals, that are kind where the teeth didn't heal after the teeth were removed. It will show if you're not able to get enough air through what, what's called your airway. If you're not getting enough air and it's affecting your health, that can affect so many things. We just had a presentation on that in my office this morning. It, it will show all of those things. It will show calcification in the brain. That's a precursor to Alzheimer's and dementia that can be related to dental health. It'll show all of these things in that one scan. So the dentist needs to be doing that if you're really truly getting someone that knows what they're doing, you know, and knows how to really help your health. Well, I find that scan so fascinating because you did that scan on me and it did show infections where my wisdom teeth were pulled out. And I've had adrenal issues since about my 20s. And you were saying, oh, that could be related to your adrenal fatigue because like you said previously, my body's just trying to fight this infection without me even knowing it's fighting an infection. So the adrenals are being worn out, sort of like leaving your car battery on at night. Okay, there are so many topics I could talk to you about because we could go on forever, but <laughs> we could because my son has been there to get his tonsils um, lasered to reduce them and so many things. I've been in there for my silver fillings out. We could talk about the cavitations where the wisdom teeth have been pulled out. So many things, but I'm actually not going to go that direction. We'll have to do another podcast episode for those. I actually want to go talk about products with a dentist. So for instance, mouthwash, it gets a bad rap out there. Why have dentists and all these people made mouthwash if it's getting such a bad rap? What is wrong with mouthwash? So the thing that people are really talking poorly about or giving it the, the bad rap about mouthwash is that the mouth has something called a biome. It's actually kind of a well-known concept now, this gut biome concept. A lot of people are talking about this and they say, you know, there's more bacteria in our bodies than we actually have cells, those kinds of things. Nobody likes to think about that. We're like, ooh, that's a lot of bugs. Um, but, uh, but it's true. They uh, cohabitate with us and they actually do a lot of good for us as well. The same thing occurs in the mouth. And I tell people this all the time, that the mouth is not a separate entity from the body, but it's certainly not a separate entity from the digestive tract. It's actually the entry point to the digestive tract. So the mouth is part of the digestive tract. So there is a biome in the mouth and that's what keeps our mouth healthy. And that's actually what can also cause disease in the mouth. So a uh, gum disease is when you have a lot of really bad, virulent bugs going to town in the mouth and it starts to destroy bone and gums and all kinds of things. But there is a biome and it's specific to the mouth, meaning there's certain bugs that live here and they're, they're the defenders. Think about it. Everything that goes into the body goes through the mouth, right? Air goes through the mouth. Food goes through the mouth. Like everything that goes into us goes through the mouth. Even the stuff that goes through your nose is then kind of filtered and then has to pass through this mouth area. So everything goes through the mouth. So there's some really strong defenders that live in the mouth. Then when you move down the digestive tract, there's a whole different biome or set of bugs that live in the stomach because they have to live in high acid. And then you move down to the small intestine and there's a whole other set of bugs that live there and then the large intestine and a whole other set that live there. It's important that the ones that live where they live, I like to call it neighborhoods, like it's important that the ones that live in the mouth neighborhood can stay there. 
So this is the beef with mouth rinses is typically what they've been is high alcohol content. So if you look at the bottle of the old yellow Listerine bottle, you know, the one that people go, gosh, I love that stuff, man. It makes my eyes water, but I feel like it's doing something. Well, what it's doing is it's killing everything in sight. It's like 70% alcohol. That's why it burns so much when you put it in there. Well, what does alcohol do? They use alcohol when, they, when they're doing a blood draw or something. Why do they do that on your skin? It's killing any bugs that it's wiped on. Right. So when you put alcohol in your mouth, it's killing the bugs. And it's not selective, meaning it's killing them all. Good, bad, it doesn't matter who it's killing, it's killing them all. This is not good because we need good bugs to help defend us against all the things that come into the mouth. So we need good bugs. It's killing everything. It dries out the mouth because alcohol dries out. You know how you have to use it on the skin? It feels cold. It's because it evaporates very, very rapidly. So it dries out the mouth. It allows more bacteria to flourish. And then you come back in, you have to use more Listerine because you have more bugs and then you kill them all. And then they come back. And it's just this never ending yo-yo of problems. And it doesn't really solve anything. So those are the old standard mouth rinses. And I don't like those either. Those are terrible. Do not ever use those kind of mouth rinses. So now we get other mouth rinses that come on board that have other disinfectants things that are going to kill bad bugs. But the challenge is if they're not specific, meaning if they're just killing everything non-specifically. So this is why people say don't use a mouth rinse. It's killing the bugs in your mouth. You're also swallowing a little. So is it, it's killing the bugs in the stomach. It's doing, it's doing more harm than it's actually doing good. Now, you and I talked about, okay, how do we create a rinse that doesn't do this, that can selectively kill just the bugs that we want to kill, but can also bring a whole bunch of benefit? Because there are benefits that come from mouth rinse. It, it uh, lubricates the mouth. It creates more saliva, which helps with, there's some people who really suffer with dry mouth issues. Dry mouth leads to more cavities. There's gum disease. And if you go to a dentist and you have gum disease, they're going to prescribe you a mouth rinse. Unfortunately, it's a prescription of pharmaceutical mouth rinse with something called chlorhexidine in it. The chlorhexidine is incredibly toxic to your cells. <laughs> so they're giving you a mouth rinse that's going to kill a whole bunch of stuff because they're trying to kill the bad bugs. It's not selective enough. That makes sense? That's the problem. So crazy. It's unbelievable to me. But one, Listerine, I guess, had a good marketing scheme because then if you're drying out your mouth and needing more mouthwash, that was how they could just sell more and more. You got and then it. I you cannot get off of it. You cannot stop using it. Well, and then I can't believe that the prescription one is toxic to the cells. Yeah. That's absolutely incredibly toxic to the cells. That's absurd. Okay. So yep. let's tell them then about our mouthwash. Because I had known this. Yep. You obviously knew all of this as a dentist. So we came together and said, let's make one. That doesn't do all of this. And so let's talk about our mouthwash and what's in it. Yep. So we still wanted an antimicrobial because we wanted to be able to manage gum disease. But I wanted an antimicrobial that was selective. That's why we worked really hard to find a silver that was exactly that. So silver, if you look on any research anywhere, it will tell you it's a broad spectrum antimicrobial. What that means is it kills everything in sight, right? It's going to kill everything. And this is well known. This is not like some hooey, whatever, I'm just making this up kind of stuff. Go look at it if you want to look at it. It will kill things. Silver will. But we didn't want it to kill everything. So what we did is we found a company that makes a true colloid. Now, there's a lot of talk about colloidal silver, that it's bad. 
So let's talk about that for just a minute. Yes, and I let's. know that you did a podcast fairly recently with the manufacturer of the silver. Right. So I'm going to repeat some of the things that they talk about, but I'm going to kind of try to take it down to a real basic level. Honestly, Perfect. this is how I usually learn things is a real basic level. Perfect. I do too. So silver particles can be suspended, meaning they're floating in something, in a liquid, or they can be dissolved. So this is kind of like when you get a salad dressing. And let's say you get an Italian salad dressing. There's a whole bunch of things in that Italian salad dressing that aren't dissolving in, right? They're floating. You know, that's why you have to shake it up, you know, and, and get all those things to distribute before you pour your salad dressing on. So you can use a kind of silver and a manufacturing technique that creates a suspension particles that are just floating in the water. So it's silver particles floating in the water. That is a true colloid. That's what a colloid is called. So when someone says colloidal silver, it means silver that's floating in the water. It has not actually dissolved in the water. Now there's also silver that's called ionic. And what ionic silver is, is like when you are dissolving salt in water. It actually dissolves into the water. You can't pull the salt out anymore, right? right. It's part of the water now. So ionic silver is silver dissolved into water, and it's a different manufacturing process, and it's actually an easy manufacturing, an easier manufacturing process to dissolve the silver in the water. But to dissolve it, they have to change what's called the charge on it. So it becomes positively charged. So now it's not just this inert little ball floating around in the water. It's somebody that's looking for somebody to grab onto. A charged particle wants to grab onto something and do something and go embed itself in somewhere. So the silver that we use is only the colloid. Unfortunately, a lot of silvers are ionic silvers. So they will do things like get into your cells and create blueness. So people will say, oh, you should never use a silver because you're going to turn blue. That's ionic silver. <laughs> Right. That's not a true colloid suspended silver. The suspended silver cannot actually get into your cells. It clears the body in 24 to 48 hours. So it's not going to turn you blue. It's not going to change the metabolic processes in any of your cells. It's not going to do any of that. In fact, we actually don't want it to get into the cell at all. All we want this silver to do is to disrupt the bacterial cells, the bug cells. And here's the cool part about it. Bacterial cells are different than our own cells, first of all. So they have different coatings around the outside, the inside mechanisms, basically the engines work differently than our cells do. So the silver particles, they have an affinity towards bugs, towards the different kind of cell than our own cells, the colloid kinds do. Now, when they get in contact with these cells, so it could be bacterial, viral, fungal, when they get in contact with them, they actually will disrupt or break open the cell. But here's the other thing we had to do. We didn't want it breaking up every bacteria, right? We again want it to be selective. So we used a low enough percentage, it's called parts per million, a low enough parts per million that it will only disrupt the cell on the bacteria we don't want. And there are differences in the ones that we want. The ones that are really bad bugs, they're kind of a stronger bug. And these lower part per million will disrupt those cell membranes. So the kind that we use is kind of like a stealth torpedo. You know how they have these really cool torpedoes now where they can send them and they, can, they only will find just their target. That's the kind of silver that we are using in our mouth rinse is just that kind that's very, very specific to just the bad bacteria. It's not going to embed in the body. It's just going to kill the bugs that we want killed, and then it's going to exit along with everything else that exits you. 
So that's the reason that we use that as the base. And I know there's been a lot of controversy and talk about that. There's been so much controversy, but you did a great job explaining that. And I just want to mention, so you said it's like a stealth that goes out, but it does not attack the good bacteria because the good bacteria have like a different structural wall, can we say, than the bad bacteria. And it cannot cannot affect those good ones. And so that's how we can differentiate with the silver. The silver is amazing. So I did see on social media the other day a post from somebody saying like, all colloidal silver is terrible. Do not use it. And all these comments were like, oh, thank you for letting us know. Thank you for letting us know. And I was like, you know what? That's like me saying all protein powder is terrible. Don't use it. Of course, there's some bad protein powders on the market. One's full of artificial ingredients and, you know, full of all these things that we don't want to put in our body. But there's also amazing protein powder out there that's made from real food, nourishing ingredients that will do amazing things to the body. And so it's with silver. It's that same philosophy. They're not all created equal. So like you said, there's different types, the ionic versus the colloidal. There is different parts per million. And so people need to know their research on this or they need to be able to trust the company that provides it. But there definitely is a difference. So thank you so much for explaining it like that because you did an amazing job explaining it. But let's continue on about our mouthwash because the base is the colloidal silver, but it's got a lot more in it as well. Yep. So we had to find a good base that wasn't going to just non-specifically kill everything. You know, so that's why we started with the silver, because I really wanted to use a mouth rinse. There are benefits that we can deliver to the mouth that I can't do in a tooth powder or something else. So the things that are included in this are... First of all, we've included hydroxyapatite, which is for the teeth. There's an added benefit of this. There is research that shows that the combination of hydroxyapatite, which we'll get into that exactly what that is in just a minute, <laughs> but uh, we'll, we'll talk about that when we get to tooth powder. Hydroxyapatite combined with silver actually creates a coating on the tooth and it creates almost like an armor coating. So when we put the two things together in this mouth rinse, you are adding an additional benefit for your teeth to make them cavity resistant. It actually is creating kind of this coating on the outside of the tooth that makes them really resistant to decay. So we're upping the game of even the hydroxyapatite and the tooth powder by adding the silver with it. So we have that for helping the teeth. But then we've added a whole bunch of herbals that are used for soothing the gums. They are used for um, anti-inflammatory. So there's an anti-inflammatory one in there. One that's called marshmallow root is very, very good for dry mouth. So a lot of people struggle with dry mouth and it's really debilitating. Like it's hard to talk. It's hard to swallow. It's hard to do a lot of things when you have this dry mouth syndrome. This is phenomenal for dry mouth because of this marshmallow root that's in here. There's plantain, there's calendula. All of these herbals are good for gums and inflammation. And that's really what I wanted to do. And the interesting thing is, is now there is research showing that the hydroxyapatite plus these herbals plus the silver together is actually more effective than the prescription mouth rinse that dentists have been using. So really every dentist should be switching to this because there's research showing this is actually more effective without the cell toxicity component that chlorhexidine has. So those are huge benefits. But the one that everybody wants is fresher breath, right? Like that's why you use a mouth rinse is for fresher breath. So yeah, all that other stuff sounds great. But, you know, is my breath going to be fresher? The answer is yes, because we've selectively killed bad bacteria. And often those bad bacteria in the mouth and in the gut, any mouth rinse you use is going to make its way to the gut. I mean, there's just no way you're not going to swallow some of it. So it's going to also balance bad bugs in the gut 
That's often where a lot of the bad breath comes from. Fungus on the tongue is where a lot of the bad breath comes from. So when we're killing that, we're taking care of that issue, that bad breath issue. We've added some essential oils. That's the only thing we have for flavoring. So there's a really nice minty flavor and some people will contest the essential oils. They'll say, oh, these are also a problem. You shouldn't use these because this or this or this. Well, the cool part about an essential oil is that you don't need very much to get a lot of effect. It, you know, the essential oil is the essential oil, literally, in the plant. In the plant, there's all sorts of components. There's the water. There's the medicinal benefits that are in the water of the plant. There's medicinal benefits in the fiber of the plant. There's also medicinal benefits in the oil of the plant. So when you are using an essential oil, you're just using a component of that plant. Now, this is why you and I both, we talk about we need to eat plants, like the whole plant. We can't just survive on essential oils. That would be silly. But the cool thing about the essential oil is it's so concentrated. So we use just a tiny little bit to get the flavoring, you know, that minty freshness that we're doing. But the cool thing about mint is it's actually antimicrobial as well. So it's going to do some benefit for us along with that minty freshness. And there's not a lot in there. It's just enough to make it feel great. Now, some people contest also the xylitol. There's a lot of things in here that there's been people talking about. They say, why did you use xylitol? I don't understand why you use xylitol. There is a reason because xylitol cannot be consumed by bacteria in the mouth. That's how cavities are formed. Bacteria eat sugar, they poop out acid, and the acid dissolves your teeth. Well, when you add xylitol, they can eat it, but they can't consume it, so they don't create any acid from the xylitol. So it's actually anti-cavity. There are scores of research articles showing that hydroxyapatite, mouth-containing products, will actually reduce cavities. So that's why we've used xylitol as a sweetener, because it will decrease cavities in your mouth when you're using that as a sweetener. So that's basically the rundown of what's in there. It's a lot of good things for a reason. It is a fascinating mouthwash. And I get asked this quite often. People will say, well, why are you guys just making this now? Why hasn't this been around for years and years? And I don't know what your answer is, but a lot of times I talk about the colloidal silver saying, you know what, this is not a newer thing, but it is a little bit newer, this type of colloidal silver. And it took a while to find a manufacturing company that could create this. Yeah, that could create the selective one too. Right. You know, the colloidal silver has been around for a long time. Oh, and that's I've what actually I... had doctor friends that tell yeah. me that they can always tell who's taking silver because they blue. They, they're blue. Like literally they walk in and they're, they're blue. And so that wasn't anything we were interested in doing. And we had to wait for a manufacturer that create create a selective antimicrobial that wasn't toxic to us. So yeah, it's taken a while. Also, hydroxyapatite is kind of the darling right now of the dental health world, you know? It's now just becoming talked about. Fluoride has been such a long-standing component in dental products, and it's just been uncontested. It's really been one of those things that nobody dares touch. Like, you just don't dare touch fluoride. There's so much political backlash around it, and I have theories on why, but it's just kind of been untouched. But enough people are talking about it now that we've said hydroxyapatite is better. So why don't we just use it instead? And then combining the two, now all of a sudden research is coming out saying, ah, hydroxyapatite plus silver is even better. And so all of this research is brand new. Literally, you can go on my website and I have all of these sources listed. I just created an entire white paper article about hydroxyapatite. 
And I did not use any research that was older than about 2017. Wow. So everything is within the last 10 years, if not even less than that. I was very selective on the research I used. I wanted to use new research. And it all is. It's all new. Okay, so let's actually talk about hydroxyapatite. So we made a tooth powder together because... I have been reading all about fluoride and researching it. And I, you know, reading about it being a neurotoxin, you had been doing the same. We thought we could do something better. So we created a tooth powder, but let's tell the listeners why we created this and why a powder. So let's talk about a tooth for a moment because we need to know this when we're talking about hydroxyapatite. The enamel of your tooth is a crystal. It's a mineral crystal. It's a calcium hydroxide um, mineral called hydroxyapatite. That is actually the mineral that teeth are made of. So when you smile in the mirror, you're looking at a whole bunch of hydroxyapatite. And fluoride, when it is on hydroxyapatite, on the mineral that our teeth are made of, it actually changes the structure and makes it stronger and more brittle. Now, the reason they even started using fluoride at all is because they found some little pockets of people that were using well water. And they found that they were getting really strong teeth. What they don't tell you now is that they were also mottled, is what it's called. So the teeth were kind of speckled and splotched with brown spots. Mm. But they wanted to know what was changing the tooth structure. And they would notice that typically these people didn't get cavities. So they said, wow, okay, this fluoride stuff, this could be really great. Like this is an epidemic, tooth decay, you know, and let's let's see if we can't introduce this component to tooth care products to people so that we can decrease tooth decay. I mean, this was all in good, you know, for a good reason. Let's just, let's, let's, let's see if we can stop cavities. So that was the whole goal of fluoride is let's stop cavities. Fortunately, it hasn't worked. <laughs> Does anyone get cavities nowadays? You know, <laughs> still do. So plenty of cavities going around. Yep. So it didn't work. But the problem is, is that fluoride didn't just stay on the teeth. That's the problem. It went to the rest of the body as well. And they started adding it to water, which means it's in our, all of our bodies at who knows what dosages. One of the most disturbing articles that I've ever found showed a direct correlation between IQ levels and fluoride usage. Hmm. This, is a, this is a new research article, and I can, I can tell you exactly where it's at. This isn't me making up anything. This is a direct correlate between IQ level and fluoride usage. So this is not something that I feel like I ever want to recommend for someone. The other thing that's interesting about fluoride is there isn't fluoride to begin with in your tooth. So if somebody gets a cavity, I don't go, oh, you've got a fluoride deficiency. Yep. No, it has nothing to do with fluoride. So why are we adding something back that was never there? It's strengthening the tooth, but it's also causing all sorts of havoc elsewhere. So could we just add something back that it was lost? And that's where we got to with hydroxyapatite, as we said. All right. So if bacteria sit on the tooth, they eat sugar, they poop out acid, they dissolve the minerals, because that's what acid does. It dissolves minerals. Shouldn't we just put minerals back? It sounds like a genius I mean, thought. It's ridiculous. <laughs> like, why hadn't we thought of this before? Yeah. So, and why not put the minerals back that came out? Right. Which is called hydroxyapatite. So that's all hydroxyapatite is, is it's just a mineral complex that your tooth is actually made of. Now, why is it like the, the darling and also so controversial right now? What's going on? Right. Well, a big piece of this is the sourcing. Where does it come from? That's what everybody's talking about. So we have looked into the size, sourcing, all of those things. We think we have the right ingredient, correct? Yes. And let me explain why. So in a tooth, there are two areas that we really want this hydroxyapatite getting into. First of all, we would need it getting into the mineral crystal of the enamel. Well, 
if you look at your tooth, you don't just see holes, right? You know, if you run your tooth across the tongue across it, you don't feel holes, which means the holes are really little. <laughs> you know, they're really, really tiny. So we have to have a particle that's small enough to actually get back into the hole that the acid dissolved. Because the acid, and this is not just bacterial acids, this is food acids, this is all sorts of things that we're eating on a nonstop basis. This is even our saliva that increases in acidity when we eat food. This is just normal old what happens in our mouth. So it's called demineralizing, meaning pulling minerals out, and remineralizing, meaning putting them back in. It's in flux 24-7. Like you're constantly adding back, taking out, adding back, taking out. So acids can dissolve literally one mineral size thick. You know, it's super tiny. So we have to have a small enough particle that it can actually get into where that acid took minerals out of. So that's one place. The other place that we want it to get into is it right at the long, the gum line or anywhere where the enamel has been worn away. The next layer in is called dentin. And dentin is full of these things called dentinal tubules. They're little teeny tiny microscopic tubules. And it's how you feel something in your tooth. There's little nerve extensions that go all the way from the inside of the tooth nerve all the way to the outside. That's why when you eat ice cream, you go, mm, oh, you know, if you have a if you have an exposed area on your tooth, because there's tubes that take that cold all the way from the outside of the tooth to the nerve and you feel it. Those tubules are also really tiny. We wanted a small enough particle that it could get into that tube. So we had to have a microscopic size particle. However, there are some particles called nanoparticles, and this is the big buzzword is the nanoparticle. There are some nanoparticles that are so small that they're able to cross the blood-brain barrier, they're embedding in brain, they're seeing all sorts of issues like that with the true nanoparticles. So I looked at it and I said, okay, we need a particle small enough to get into the enamel and to get into the dentinal tubule but large enough that it's not going to go across that blood-brain barrier or embed in tissues or do anything that we don't want it to do. So we selected a particle that's called a microparticle. Now, if you look at it, it's still, it's called 200 nanometers, which means that basically five of those can be one micrometer or micrometer is what it's called. So it's still in a nanometer size, but by definition, Anything under 100 nanometers, smaller than 100 nanometers, is a nanoparticle, is the part that's going to cross through the blood-brain barrier. Ours is much bigger than that. So ours is double the size of a nanoparticle. It's 200 nanometers. However, it's still small enough. Eight of these can fit into one dentinal tubule. So the size of a dentinal tubule is a little over a micrometer. So eight of these can fit into one dentinal tubule. So it's small enough to fit big enough that it's not going to go places that we don't want. And we very intentionally chose this particle size for that reason. And so much research was put into that. And so not just from you, but from other scientists. And so we have the right size. But let's talk now more about um, tooth powder because hydroxyapatite is a very, like you said, trendy thing right now. And in fact, in Europe, they've been using hydroxyapatite for the past 20 years. And it's more, way more common over there than it is here in America. So we're just now getting on board 20 years later. But toothpaste with hydroxyapatite have been the trendy thing. We decided not to make a toothpaste. We decided to make a tooth powder, which is even a newer, trendier thing. It is just an emerging thing on the market. Some don't even know what it is or how to use it or why. And so let's talk about why we made tooth powder rather than a toothpaste. 
So there's research that shows that remineralization is not as effective when the product is applied in a paste. Why? Because the paste usually has binders that actually turn it into a paste. You know, you have to put something with the hydroxyapatite. Hydroxyapatite's a powder. So you actually have to put some sort of gooey something, you know, with it in order to make it into a paste. There's research, in fact, brand new research, I literally read it yesterday, showing that there's the difference between a mousse. If you think about a mousse, it's kind of like this fluffy thing versus a paste, which is kind of a slippery thing. There's glycerins, there's other binders in a paste. And what they're finding is that remineralization doesn't work as effectively. Now, I know that there's one incredibly prominent, very well-researched dentist that's saying glycerin isn't a problem, that this is not a problem because it's water-soluble. But here's my contention. Yes, it's water-soluble, meaning it will wash away eventually. But the problem is, is it's going to wash away with the hydroxyapatite. We don't want that to happen. So we want the hydroxyapatite in the tube at the very beginning. But this is why we chose the shape we chose too, actually. People say, oh, you shouldn't have needle shaped. You can't find the size that we need in any other shape. <laughs> so, but actually the needle shape fits into the tubes better. So you can get three or four into those tubes because of the shape that it is. So again, that's why we chose the shape we wanted. I don't want it carried in a sticky substance that has to be dissolved by water before it will get into the tube. Because if it dissolves by water, most likely you've swallowed all the hydroxyapatite by that point. Right. I want the hydroxyapatite embedded into the tube immediately as soon as you use it. So that's why we used a powder, because we just want that product, the hydroxyapatite, into the tubes, into the crystals the second you use it. Right. So the glycerin is needed in the toothpaste that may prevent it from getting in immediately. Therefore, without the glycerin, yep. you end up with tooth powder, and that's what we have. But let's talk about yep. this because I get DMs on a daily basis of people telling me, oh my gosh, I went to the dentist and these surface cavities that I had on watch are no longer there. They've they're disappeared. And I'm like, yeah, because the tooth powder has remineralized the cavity. So it really does remineralize yep. cavities, but they have to be surface cavities, right? If it's a really deep, deep cavity, it's not going to work or will it? Yes. Yeah, so here's the issue. The cavity that starts on the surface, what it is, is that acid is dissolved, crystal or minerals in the crystal, and bacteria are able to crawl into the crystals. Then they deposit more acid and they dissolve more minerals and they crawl deeper. So a surface cavity is, if you put minerals on it, you're going to be able to just fill that area back up again, which is, again, another reason to use the mouth rinse, because you, then you're going to kill the bacteria that's in that tooth too, that cavity that's in that tooth. So this is the reason why you really need to have the two together. But if you put minerals on the surface, it's going to fill the mineral area back in and the cavity is going to go away. Now, once the bacteria have crawled deep into the dentin, they get into those tubes and they start spreading. So when you look at a tooth, this is, ask any dentist, you can look at a tooth and you can see, ah, maybe there's a little cavity. As soon as we cut through the enamel, we have to cut that piece of enamel out to find the deeper decay. It's like, shoom, it's spread all throughout the tooth. You can't see it because once it gets into the tubes, it spreads. I like to think of it like a super highway. So the problem with remineralizing that is you can't actually get to all of those areas because it has to make its way through the enamel just like that acid and the bacteria did to get down to that deeper layer. I have had some people tell me it remineralizes, but I don't tell anybody it's going to because if you wait and say, oh, I've got this really deep cavity, I'm going to try this, and you wait, and now it's already all, all the way to the nerve, and then we're talking all sorts of big issues, that's not worth it. So I just say, just go get the cavity fixed. Use the tooth powder now so that you never get another one. Right. 
So it prevents them and helps surface cavities. I've had so many parents say, this seems a little pricey at the beginning, but it has saved me hundreds of dollars from filling cavities. So this oh, has yeah. been a lifesaver. Literally, um, you will have people no cavities. Yeah, it's crazy. And I've had people that will write in saying like, oh my gosh, my hygienist can't believe how much plaque is off my teeth. Like they're the cleanest they've ever been. And so just helping with all of those things. Since we're talking about kids, all of these products were designed to be completely safe for all ages. It doesn't mean for like kids or adults only. We wanted safe for everybody. So anyone can use these products, correct? Correct. And here's the reason why. All you're using is hydroxyapatite, which it dissolves in stomach acid. So if you consume it, because we have hydroxyapatite in the mouth rinse and the breath spray and the tooth powder, you're going to swallow it, guaranteed. There's no way you cannot swallow it because it's in your saliva and it's going to go down. Hydroxyapatite dissolves into its component parts, which is calcium, hydrogen. It dissolves into those component parts in stomach acid. So immediately, as soon as it hits stomach acid, it's no longer hydroxyapatite in true form. And it's just a mineral. It's just like you got a mineral out of some broccoli for, for lunch. So it's completely safe. The binders in both are silver, which is also completely safe because we've already talked about that one. But uh, the binder in the tooth powder is bentonite clay, which is used for detoxing. So it's purposefully ingested when you're trying to detox the system because it grabs onto all sorts of bad, bad things that are going on. So it's very, very safe. Everything else in it is just simply some herbals, some essential oils for flavoring and xylitol. And we talked about xylitol already. It is very good for preventing tooth decay. Both of them are amazing products. Um, if you guys haven't tried them, try them out. Like I said, they'll save you money because they'll prevent, you know, these cavities and all this dental work that you need to do. But I do have a question because sometimes I get followers who say, oh, my dentist said I shouldn't use this stuff. I should just use the regular Crest toothpaste or I should just stay with the typical, you know, Listerine mouthwash out there. Why do you think dentists are afraid to move on to something new? Is it just they aren't aware of what these ingredients can do? They haven't researched the benefits? 100%. They just don't know. And so they're sticking with the tried and true, you know, the things that have been around for a long time. Not only that, but there's a lot of clickbait stuff around this. I mean, you know, because you get all these answers, you get all these questions all the time. Like you said, colloidal silvers are all bad. Yep. Okay. <laughs> you know, right. so if all you're doing is skimming the surface of any of these products, that's what you're going to hear. Oh, hydroxyapatite is terrible because it's all nano. Or, you know, whatever it might be, there's all sorts of things like that. Well, if all you're doing is skimming, but you actually don't look at the actual research that was used in formulating the product, then you could say, oh, this is, this is no good. But my contest, what I would like to contest that with is, is it working? Right. Exactly. Do you have cavities? Do you have gum disease? Do your kids have cavities? Is it working? Has it completely eradicated decay and gum disease in our lives? No. <laughs> so if it hasn't worked, then why can't we try something different and better? I probably shouldn't even say this on air, but I'm going to tell you this. We had a dentist tell me, I cannot sell this stuff in my office because I know it works. And then if it works, what dental work will I have to do? Like I will have way less cavities to fill and my money will go down. And I was oh, shocked. Wow. I was shocked. <laughs> I will never state the name of who it was, but I thought that is not a dentist for the right purpose. In my mind, there's plenty enough dental disease to go around. I am never going to uh, eradicate it in my lifetime. You know, I tell my people, my patients that all the time. I hope you never have a cavity again, because then we can just come and chat. There like, you how go. fun would that be? And clean your teeth. <laughs> 
Okay, so I want to ask you a question as we wrap up here. I know I have a lot of moms that listen to this podcast, and I'm sure a lot of moms out there have these kids that, you know, get cavities all the time, have dental issues. So what advice would you give to them besides, yes, use our tooth powder and use our mouthwash. Besides that advice, what advice would you give these parents? There's two things you really need to look into. Gut function for kiddos. And you don't think about that. You think, oh, you don't have gut issues until you get old. No, kiddos have a lot of gut function issues. So if you go on my site information, you will see something about a baking soda test. The baking soda test, just request the gut health guide. Baking soda test can be used from anybody who can burp. So, I mean, my little grandbaby that's 18 months old can burp, you know, so it will give you a lot of information about gut health. Why? Because a lot of times cavities in kiddos is due to gut health issues. They're not absorbing nutrients properly. So you need to identify, is that the problem? The second one is, is your child breathing with their mouth open when they're sleeping? And you think, what in the world does this have to do with anything? If they're breathing with their mouth open, it dries the mouth out and saliva is the natural protection for the mouth against decay. If you don't have saliva, the pH in the mouth drops exponentially and there's nothing that will bring the minerals back. So if you're breathing, if you're sleeping with your mouth open, you will dry your mouth out and you are hugely prone to tooth decay. So check, is your child sleeping with their mouth open? If they are, there are some things that we need to do growth and developmental wise, and I can advise on all of that growth and developmental wise to get them so they can actually close their lips. This affects their brain, their focus, bedwetting, all sorts of things. So it's important for other things too. But those are the big ones. If we're using the right product, you're brushing your kid's teeth, then you need to look and say, okay, what's going on from gut function and diet? And are they leaving their mouth open when they're breathing at night? Because it could lead them to be really cavity prone too. So fascinating. And just for a little tip, because I have followers who will say all the time to me, okay, I, I know, I know my gut's a mess. Like, what do I do? So I know what I tell them, but what's the first little tips that you tell people if their guts are a mess or they have gut issues? So probiotics are wonderful to try to reestablish what's going on. That's what I, I have a whole gut protocol that walks you through basically reestablishing the bugs that should live there and then rebuilding the gut lining that should be there so that you can absorb food properly. A lot of times people are eating really well, but they're not getting what they need out of what they're eating. Right. So the first thing we start with is that baking soda test and we establish, is there enough acid or do you need to actually add stomach acid? So that's where I start. What do you start with? <laughs> well, and that's a great way to start. I honestly tell them until they can do the test, things like that. Well, they could do the test right now, but I tell them, let's <laughs> just look at what we're eating and let's add in yeah. more fruits and vegetables and reduce the sugar. Because I don't yep. think we pay attention enough as to how many fruits and vegetables our kids are actually getting a day. Mm -hmm. And when I really pay attention, sometimes I'm like, wow, we only got like three or four in today yep. and we should be getting like nine in, which is really hard. So I do just yep. try to encourage them to really pay attention to the diet. That's good. And bread, even wheat bread. Actually, wheat bread's almost worse than white bread, which is crazy talk. Processed uh, non-sourdough breads are actually some of the most cavity inducing foods you can eat. People don't wow. know that either. And we're a big carb society. Huge. That's crazy. Okay. Well, I could talk to you about so many topics for a long time, Dr. Jorgensen. We have so many things. We're out I, of time. Exactly. But we're out of time. So will you just tell my listeners where they can find you and where they can find more out about your practice? Yep. So 
me. I'm at Living Well with Dr. Michelle. And go on there because I have all sorts of crazy things. I have the craziest like list of things I'm interested in. So I talk about all sorts of things. This weekend, it was all about canning and gardening and, you know, things that that uh, really help you to live well. So Living Well with Dr. Michelle, that's where a lot of the free guides are, the gut health guides on there. And then the practice is Total Care Dental. And um, it's in Utah, American Fork, Utah. And I do virtual consults and we do virtual consults for kiddos too. So we see, in fact, that's what I'm doing right after I get off of this are all my virtual consults for the week. So we can often answer questions from you for you from far away that you may have and help direct you to a dentist that's closer to home that can help you as well too. So those are the two places to find me. Perfect. And then as you know, I always end my podcast with asking my guests what they have found to be the best ingredient in life. What would you say it is? Mine is curiosity. (laughs) That's a good one. If you stay curious, then you're going to keep asking questions. And if you keep asking questions, you're going to find answers. So that's my favorite ingredient in my life is I just stay super curious because I always want to know. I love that. That's such a good one. Do you know, you came on my show over 100 episodes ago and I still remember what wow. you said was your best ingredient in life. Do you remember what it was? I, know, I couldn't say it again because I do too. <laughs> do you remember what it was? I said butter. Didn't I say butter? Yes, grass-fed butter. So tell them why it was grass-fed butter. Because it helps to strengthen teeth. Grass-fed butter has vitamin K, which helps to reestablish the minerals in your teeth. Exactly. I loved it. I I don't know why I've never forgotten that one, but thank you again for being here today. I've had so much fun just chit-chatting with you. I know the listeners have learned a lot. Both of these products that we've talked about today are on Dr. Michelle Jorgensen's site and on my site, Just Ingredients, and it doesn't matter who you buy it from. Go try them out. And again, thank you, Dr. Michelle Jorgensen, for being here. I know you're extremely busy, and so thank you for taking the time to be here. Thank you for all you do. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to subscribe to the Just Ingredients podcast to learn more about your health and good ingredients to life. Plus, get daily tips at just.ingredients on Instagram. 